Martin McGuinness's life was an extraordinary journey. From IRA Hardman in the 1970s. As far as a provisional IRA is concerned, the fight will go on until the four demands are met. To hardline politician in the 1980s. At the end of the day, it will be the cutting edge of IRA which will bring freedom. To uncompromising negotiator in the 1990s. The unionists want their assembly. Well, we are not going to give them their new Stormont. And finally, Deputy First Minister, sharing power with his former enemy, Ian Paisley. For over 40 years, he was at the centre of the Troubles, as leader of the Derry Brigade, IRA Chief of Staff and Head of Northern Command. But ultimately, he helped bring the violence the to an end. As we step forward. I spent a decade negotiating peace with Martin McGuinness. The first time I met him, like most people, I saw a terrorist. When I left government, I invited him to my leaving party as a peacemaker. And now he's gone, I think we're in danger of underestimating his contribution. Derry today is a beautiful city, at peace. But in the early 1970s, he was at the centre of a bloody war between the IRA and the British Army. Dennis Bradley was a local Catholic priest, trying to keep a lid on rising tensions. He knew McGuinness well. He had the looks and the charms and the ability to go places where other people perhaps didn't go. That gave him confidence, gave him an insight. And then he discovered that he wasn't too bad at it, that he was as good as the rest at it, and perhaps even better, that he had a natural instinct for strategy and dynamics and politics. I believe Martin to explain to you. There was no argument about whether he was an IRA man or not. He was highly respected uh, among the hard men. Um, and the harder they were, the more the respect they had for him. So uh, he was certainly on the, on the tough side of the, the military campaign. I met him in June 1972 in Derry, in what was then Free Derry, was behind the, the barricades. I was told that there were going to be talks with the British government. And I met Martin, that was the first time I met him, so it's 45 years ago, a uh, long time. But for many in Northern Ireland, Martin McGuinness was the devil incarnate. You'll never defeat the Protestant people of Ulster! What would your dad have thought of Martin McGuinness in those days? Well, Martin McGuinness was evil personified. He was the uh, man of terror. He was the man who um, was terrorising Northern Ireland. And he was everything that every Ulsterman, every Protestant, every Unionist both feared loathed and hated. So when did the hard man change into a peacemaker, and why? By the late 1980s, the violence had reached a new peak. With the Enniskillen bomb, even IRA leaders, including McGuinness, realised they'd gone too far. It's really desecrating the dead and a blot on mankind. A corner was turned, and in the midst of the violence, the IRA started reaching out secretly to the British. 
I think after the, the Enniskillen bombing, that's where Martin McGuinness became moving from the hard man to the chief negotiator role. Dennis Bradley was one of those in Derry who facilitated the secret back channel between the IRA and the British government, known as the Link. I think that uh, McGuinness was, e was quicker and earlier into the fray of peacemaking than anybody else within the Republican movement. The back channel for the British government was always uncomfortable. They didn't want it exposed. It was never comfortable for the IRA either. There's only two ways that a conflict ends, especially in modern history, and, and Martin, I think, very well knew it. And one is an absolute victory and defeat, one side over another. And if that is not uh, possible, and in most modern history it hasn't been possible, then you discover that, you know, negotiations are a part of where you go. In the end, the link collapsed because mistrust between the two sides was just too great. In 1996, the IRA went back to war with the Canary Wharf bomb. When Tony Blair came to government in 1997, he made peace in Northern Ireland his first priority. I first met Martin McGuinness here in Castle Buildings on the 13th of October 1997, along with Tony Blair. It was the first meeting between a British Prime Minister and Republican leaders since 1921. We arranged the meeting in a small windowless room so no one could take photographs of us meeting Republican leaders. I declined to shake hands with Martin McGuinness and Gerry Adams. Tony Blair was more sensible and shook them by the hand as he would anyone else. It was here that the peace process began. I remember Martin being, you know, there's a lot of accumulated pain and hurt that he wanted to express and he was very determined to give me a a lengthy and detailed account of, of, of why the British were to blame for the problems of, of Ireland. But the importance of the meeting was that it, it happened. And when we came to government, Martin was made the chief negotiator in the, in, in the peace process. What was his role, do you think? If he was involved, that people could have some sense. You know, my wife always says she would trust Martin McGuinness with her life. She doesn't say that about me, but <laughs> that's another story. So I suppose people had that sense of, of some competence in them. You always felt, um, as a chief negotiator, that somebody had to sell this to the troops. Um, if, if a deal was done with Martin, he could deliver. And he was the one who had to sell it. Um, and I think that was the distinction. Um, I'm not saying that the, the selling powers of Jerry was, were, was not considerable, but I think Martin was the person who had the ability to sell it. If it was hard making peace, it was even harder making it work. On 8th of May 2007, Martin McGuinness became Deputy First Minister, sharing power via Paisley. My main memory of that day was the two of them sitting on the sofa in Paisley's office trying to outdo each other in terms of telling jokes. The Chuckle Brothers were born. We were a bit short of space, uh, so we were nearly sitting on each other's knees. And uh, Big Ian kind of tended to take up a fair bit of space. I mean, it was amazing how, if you were to, like a crack of a switch to, to put a light on, um, that they seemed to have said, listen, we've been through all of this. You were on that side, I was on this side. Terrible things happened, horrific things happened. You know, the, the terrible legacy of the victims, which we all can never forget. but. Um, that th these people were prepared to, 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 to give it a go. How did he manage to build a relationship with someone who had been, a, as you say, the personification of evil? 
but the two of them did sit down and had a very, very private conversation. I was privy to part of that conversation where uh, you, you know, my father said to Martin, we can have a battle a day, we can fight every day with each other, we can make the community out there depressed, or we can actually hand in hand take this country forward and fight for what we believe in. Martin McGuinness risked not just his career, but his life to make the power-sharing executive work. He achieved things as a politician he never could as a terrorist. Now he's gone, a new generation, who weren't involved in the Troubles, have to see if they can continue his legacy. I worry because, frankly, this, this process in Northern Ireland is still fragile, and unless there's a, a continual commitment by all the parties, including the British government, then it's at risk, frankly. We're, we're, we're past conflict, uh, apart from a small number of people who are trying to draw us back against it, but they have no chance of achieving that. Uh, so I, th I am very hopeful for the future. I think you have to be an optimist. I worked with Martin McGuinness for 10 years. At first I did so with grave reservations. Over time I came to realise that if you're going to make peace, you have to talk to your enemies. For some, he'll always be viewed as a man with blood on his hands. But I believe his legacy will be as the hard man who changed to negotiate peace and perhaps most importantly, to make peace work in practice. I ultimately take the view, if Martin McGuinness um, helped us achieve peace in Northern Ireland, do we then hate our opponents or we end up recognising that without them, we actually couldn't have got to this place? In a way, his intrinsic nature never changed from the time he was in the bogside to the time he was the Deputy First Minister. I think what changed was his deep-seated belief that the next generation had to live in a different environment from his. And that is really what impelled him then to become the greatest advocate and deep practitioner of peace. He's, he's from the bog side. Uh, that has never left him. To have been part of achieving peace and developing a peaceful way to bring that about, uh, that's no mean achievement for a wee lad from the bog side.